You ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. Welcome to Shaker Heights, Episode 6, A Clockwork Orange. Lisa Pruitt is dead. Someone stabbed her 21 times in the early morning hours of September 14, 1990. She was found behind the mansion where her boyfriend, Dan Dryford, lived with his parents. Dan's friends pointed the finger at the weird kid in school, Kevin Young. And although there was no evidence linking Kevin to the crime... And even though he had an alibi, he quickly became the prime suspect for the detectives of this small-town department. They were out of their league, and they knew it. So, they enlisted a renowned psychologist from Syracuse University to help them get a confession from Kevin Young, no matter what. Yeah, I understand that. And, and, and indeed, that's a very powerful alibi um, that the father indicates that Dan was, in fact, in his room and that they both heard the screams together. Yes, that's that's very powerful. There is some I must say that we we had some difficulty still, however, with Dan's subsequent behavior. He after they go out to the edge of the property and and I'll go back into the home apparently satisfied that the source of the scream has left the area or whatever, and that they can't find anything unusual, apparently Dan re-exits the house to find the bicycle, and then, in fact, without telling his parents, um, calls 911 on his own uh, to report what he believes to be now suspicious circumstances. But then when the parents hear the Pruitt's outside on the lawn, you know, and, and they're distraught, and here are all these police vehicles, the crime scene being established, uh, Dan goes to bed, right? Falls asleep uh, while the parents are waiting for the plainclothes detective to come in and interview them, huh? Right. I found that I, I found that unusual um, and, and somewhat disconcerting. But what we decided here was that Dick and I decided that well, that's not that's academic, right? Because it's not Dan that we're going to be interrogating. It's it's Kevin, and whether or not he's the guy or not, we want to give the full shot to to use the best psychological coercion we can. Right. 
um, if in fact, so that we get an admission out of him, if in fact he is the killer. What, is the, is the forum talking to Kevin now? He's going to. Well, what we're trying to do is get a investigative grand jury assembled where all witnesses would be subpoenaed and questioned before grand jury, including Kevin Young. What kind of immunity is involved in that? Uh, none that I know of. Is counsel allowed? No counsel. No counsel. He may take the Fifth Amendment. Almost certainly counsel would advise him to do that, given that he has no immunity, even willing immunity in such an interrogation, right? Kevin is um, uh, legally qualifies for adult offender status. Is that right? That's right. Let me try to discourse for a minute or two about what I believe to be the psychological dynamics behind Kevin's peculiarities. There's no question that on the face of it, Kevin's evidence is self-loathing, self-deprecation, what is sometimes called poor self-image. He is, in fact, uh, I, I, some suspicion that his own hospitalization was for an abortive suicide attempt. Do you know that to be the case? Uh, the most recent one? Yes. Not to most. Well, he indicated to the interviewer that he had nothing left to live for. I have that person with me. The officer that did the interviewing, Sergeant Gray, is here with me in my office. An excellent job, by the way, Sergeant. It was, it was obviously a very productive interview, even though we didn't get an, ad, an admission. There are some very revealing points that you undoubtedly felt that he was just about to tumble, to, to roll over. Dick and I both commented that uh, in reading your report that, first of all, <laughs> frequently visiting the bathroom, I mean, how many times? Three times within some short span of time, right? Right. All the signs of stress that something is bothering him. Yeah. I mean, all the physical signs in terms of eye contact and motion and sitting back and forth in your chair and all the classic kind of interview things that you'd like to see once in a while were all clearly there. I mean, the stress was real high on his level. What did you make of him saying that he could tell you that he had done it and, and then he'd go to the hospital for a couple of years, but he really couldn't live with himself? He, he didn't tell you the truth. I mean, I mean, it, it's almost like, is there a truth other than he did it? That or, I mean, one of the things we had been warned about ahead of time was the possibility that he had already justified some sort of course of action in his mind. And if his justification had something to do with it, no, I really didn't do it, or someone else did it. I mean, if maybe he had totally blocked it out, we really don't know. I mean, we were already prepared for the possibility that he had justified this somehow, and that he wasn't going to feel. Uh, yes, this is uh, on Jim Wright's advice, right? Right. Yeah, I, I, I concur. Um, I, I think that denial as a defense mechanism for Kevin is high in his hierarchies of his ego protection. He is a, he's a fantasizer. He's a, his behavior is compensatory in character. Let me talk about that a bit. I think when you find such virulent self-deprecation, self-loathing, I think you need to reach for an accountant. It doesn't stand on its own merit. And the, the account is that you look at this, the self-loathing as compensatory behavior, as denial behavior, that is to say, denial of the intrinsic, the underlying belief that, that you are, in fact, superior, that you are ideal in every way, that you are omnipotent, um, the opposite of someone who is unworthy. You are supremely worthy, but that those thoughts are anxiety-producing. The Greeks used to call that the, the sin of shubris, the, the notion that you aspire to godhood, that you, that you are a god, causes enormous anxiety. 
and that that anxiety is compensated for, defended against by the posture of this self-deprecating, self-loathing fence. So you're very happy to talk about you're being suicidal, you're being unworthy, that nobody will talk to you. You're not found desirable by either men or women or what, what have you, because that's your pose. That's your deception. What you don't want to talk about is the fact that you're a god, that you control everyone, that you believe you control your life, etc., and all the people around you. You live a deception, a pose. The opposite of, it, it seems to me that of what uh, perhaps in the attack we originally took, you don't minimize, you, you maximize. What he did, his responsibility, his significance, his capacity that the crime is important, not minimal. He doesn't need help. He needs applause for what he was able to accomplish, his significance, his importance, etc. His guilt feeling, his guilt, and, and there's no doubt that he in fact feels guilty and that this post-offense behavior of, of starting a new life, and I found that very significant. In the statement that his profile of the killer suggests that he would move on and start a new life, and then when he referred to his circumstances at college, he referred to that as a new life for him. Right. He's, in fact, he's very comfortable. And whatever guilt he may have had, I think he's been able to deal with. I think that it's transparent and, and obvious that the guilt is not sufficient to compensate or overbalance his fears of the punishment that will accrue to will follow upon confession of that guilt. He's already fantasized circumstances of his imprisonment. So what we need to do is, is we need to arouse him, arouse the guilt again. And that, that may be difficult because now he's had ample time to scar over, to see that nothing is going to happen, that he's been successful. His godlike powers have again phased him because he is invincible. But I think that's the tact we need to take, that he should feel guilty. He doesn't need help. He needs punishment. Does he feel that guilt still? No. Uh, as I'm saying, I think he's originally... It's completely... He was able to compensate adequately for this because God felt guilt. Indeed, the opposite. He would have been conflicted between feeling the importance of having done something that ordinary mortals don't do. You know, normally mortals don't kill. He understands, I think, this. his problems with his impulse control. He's impulsive. He has a great deal of difficulty with impulse control. He has to guard against this incredible power that is within him, this, this power to anger, to violence, and he has to protect himself from that. And part of that's his pose of self-deprecation, etc., self-loathing. We need to play to what he believes to be his strengths. And in so doing, we will arouse in him his anxieties, the anxieties in feeling godlike. And those anxieties will trigger his guilt feelings again. We need to do what you would do more with a, a serial killer, it seems to me. Uh, has in favor the notions of power in being able to kill, to recreate that sense of power, significance, that life-taking capacity. The interview took the tact of minimizing. You need help? Well, you know, they, they don't really, you, you know, you full offenders, we can mitigate this to the judge because you felt remorse, etc., etc. I'm saying, and we know that that didn't work, Right. I'm saying we maximize the crime instead, maximize the power, the significance. You, you go back through the crime with a kind of fallacious dwelling upon the details, but particularly with respect to the power, the sheer marvelous power of being able to take a life. Do you follow me? Yes. I mean, al almost pornographic. And I'm, as you're saying this, I'm thinking, 
I know how we could do that. I'm just not sure how to do that under the controlled circumstances. Here's what I was thinking. What are the, we need to shape up a behavior the same way you would try to shape up a behavior in a laboratory mouse. I'm going to go through that scenario, this this behavioral shaping that's very dramatic, works very well. Look, you you take a mouse, a rat, a, a laboratory rat, and you want him to, let's say, twirl around three times clockwise in a sort of ballet-like pirouette. So what you do to control is you're in control over the reinforcements. You don't need to punish, but you can withhold the reinforcements. So what you do is you wait for the animal to turn its head and look to the right, and then you give it a little bit of food. Then you wait, and it turns its head to the right, and you don't give him food now, again, for, for turning right. You wait until he moves his shoulder to the right along with the head, and then you give him a piece of food. And then you keep waiting for more and more exaggerations of this form of behavior until it's a quarter of a turn, and then it's a half a turn, then it's a full turn. It takes an enormous amount of patience because you have to wait for this behavior to appear. In classical conditioning, rather than operant conditioning, you, of course, make the response appear that you want because you're dealing with some reflexive response that you're just going to change to a different stimulus. But in operant conditioning, you have to wait for the behavior to to occur. Now, of course, you can make the behavior more likely to occur because you've got him in a situation where the animal's hungry, right? And, And inactive. You can't condition an animal that's asleep. College classes and introductory courses in psych curriculum says, I've always done this. It's it's a nice demonstration. The class gets together and, and decides that they're going to have the professor stand on his left leg, deliver the whole lecture on his left leg. So what they do is they wait for him to shift his weight to the left, and then all of them just nod and smile, and they look very interested in what he's just said, and, and, and that's a powerful reward for the professor. And then they wait until it happens again, and then they all nod and smile, and between this, they would, they would hold the reinforcement. They look bored, inattentive, to maximize the reward, and it's very dramatic. It works. It works every time. The professor, by the end of class, is hopping around on one leg and doesn't realize why. Just seems to like to be on, the, uh, on that one leg, to talk on that one leg. Now, here's, forgive all the anecdotal sort of thing. We need to operant condition Kevin. Clockwork Orange on Kevin, if, if you've seen that film. And the way we do that is when he takes the fifth, and he, he almost certainly will take the fifth, you turn your back on him. You ignore him. You, in fact, even better would, would be to make a, a side to somebody else, talk to someone else, so that Kevin understands that there is reward out there to be given because Kevin loves attention. Gods expect people to worship them. It's their due. But if you ignore them, gods don't like that. Gods don't like to be ignored. They like attention. And notice that Kevin, in when, when you interviewed him, he, wow, you know, he, he was ready to go for the whole night. I mean, you were, you were tiring more than he was. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And ready to go forever. I, I, he loved it. Oh, oh, he loved it. You know, he, he wanted the polygraph. He wanted everything. Oh, geez, you know, you know let's go. I love it, you know, just... Just keep giving me attention. Worship me, worship me, worship me. If he wanted anything, if he asked for a drink of water, you turn and give him his fullest attention. Oh, yes, yes, Kevin. You shower him with attention, affection, reward. Now, the next time he asks for water, we don't. Now you don't need it again because now you need something more. You need a demonstration of his cooperativeness, etc. I think you get the picture. 
we, we just need to manipulate the reinforcements. And you have to do it in a very conscious way, trying to get him to talk. And then as soon as he starts to talk, if he starts to talk, then we need to shape what he says. We want him to shape, talk about, uh, we want to reinforce, talk about guilt, personal responsibility. We withhold the reinforcement for intellectualization, the, the mechanisms of denial, third person stuff, and uh, obfuscation, you know, the distractions, trying to get at what comes closer and closer to a personal confession or a revelation of what he's done. I don't think he would gladly take the fifth. And, and I think what you need to do is avoid letting him get reinforcements for taking the fifth. And that would be, for example, just continuing on one question after another. So he, he, he gets a chance to say, on advice of counsel, I refuse to answer that question on the grounds that may tend to incriminate me. And, and he loves that. What a performance. Wow. You know, uh, one after the other. And then he gets very dramatic, you know, because of its repetition. Under the stress and conditions, will it be possible for this attorney to condition him enough to just stick to that Fifth Amendment? No, no, I, I don't think so. He's going to want that attention? I, I think... I think that he prefers not to do that. He, he would prefer to try to charm, manipulate, be the center of attention, center stage in this testimony for the grand jury. And there's nothing, nothing that the attorney can tell him that would convince him of that. You've seen this. I mean, people absolutely self-destructive in such situations because their personality will not allow them to be silent. So I think that Kevin's position, I, I think he would like that. I think what he needs is, well, Without confessing, he needs to have, and, and that's what I think he did in the interview, he came so close to confessing what had happened in this third person form, but that's expiation. That's expiation of sin. That's absolution of sin you gave him. You absolved him of sin because you didn't stand up and say, how disgusting, how absolutely unadulterated disgusting. You, you can sit here and talk like that about murdering another human being and, and expect me to sit here and say, well, Kevin, you know, I, I want... I want you to be able to live with this. You've got to bullshit. He went away from this interview saying, wow, it's wonderful. It's really not that big a deal, is it? I mean, here's another guy that was, hey, he didn't get angry. He, he didn't get upset. And Kevin told us that he wanted somebody to get upset. He says through the interview, he says, you're going you're gonna to have to pound on them. You have to keep after him over and over and over again. What he was saying was, hey, I did an important thing. And, and you tell him it wasn't important. It makes sense. That's not a criticism, the way that you went about your interview. No, 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 no. <laughs> and when I looked at it, I said to Murray that you did every textbook thing that Quantico ever thought of doing. And I was very impressed with what you did. No. Had it worked, we would have done the perfect thing. It didn't work, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in, indeed, you have to go that way first. You, you can't go from the way I'm suggesting backwards. You can't go from where I'm suggesting to nurture him. No way. I mean, after you do this, after you maximize the crime, you, you, you can't minimize it. You're called out, but you can go from minimizing to, to maximizing. He gave us the opening of it needed to be done over and over, which gave us the format to change, however, once the attorney stepped in. It was minimize it, don't talk to his client. We, we kind of got stuck on that. The other thing is that I, I think that one needs to see behind, one needs to see I'm starting out from the presumption that the suicidal, self-effacing, self-deprecating, self-loathing needs an account. You can't just say, oh, 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 that's true, and, and accept it as if it were the basis. It's not the basis. It, it is, in fact, it needs an explanation. I presume I'm not seeing this kid, but 
I presume he's he's not deformed. He's not some monster. No, no. He's just another ordinary kid, huh? Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. 
Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious, from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need to pack a lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Indeed, he reports to him when he gets to college. Suddenly, some girl comes up to him after class and talks to him. I I mean, he doesn't present the image of this loathing where nobody wants to talk to him, nobody likes him, etc. He wants to have shock value. In in all those writings, all his baloney is for shock value. It's designed to say, well, listen, I want your attention. I, I want importance. I want to have an effect on you. And that's what we use as the reinforcement for manipulation. So my explanation is that when I see something as virulent as as the self-loathing, I need to reach for an explanation. And and the most typical explanation for that is it's uh, compensatory behavior. Anything that's showy and a facade like that, appearing showy in that form, usually has an explanation compensation. It's, It's the guy that's the homo basher, the homosexual basher the super masculine guy whose anxieties are because he believes himself not to be masculine. So it's showy, right? It's, it's a demonstration more for an audience than for anything else. We must, not, we must not give him the applause, must not be the audience that he wants us to be. We've got to reach underneath for the secret places that he hides. And so the trick in interrogation, it seems to me, whatever he wants to talk about, we don't want to talk about. Whatever he volunteers is not what we want to be. We want to be where the secret places, you know, the the last thing he wants to say are are those things. Is that plan the issue of him wanting to be in control or feeling in control? Oh, there's there's no question about that, too. Yes, he's he's very manipulative, very controlling. But in addition, control is important for this kid because, as I say, and and I think this is intrinsic, he's got impulse disorder. He's impulsive, and and I believe that. He says that he's scared of the capacities he knows are in him when he loses control. He can just flip out. And, and I think that's one of the reasons that makes him a very good suspect. 
because my impression of this crime scene was that it was an in- impulse act. Okay. H- have you talked to Jim again since before? You should talk to Jim and, and maybe run some of this by him. See what all, all the inputs you can get would be useful. Have you talked to him yet? To Jim Wright? Yeah. No, we haven't. We haven't talked to him since the interview, but we haven't. I, I can't believe you woke him up at three o'clock in the morning. I, I, <laughs> I just can't believe that. <laughs> Well, gee, that's what he gets for giving us his home phone number. <laughs> that's why you see what he said to you. I, I, I think you're tired. I think you ought to go to bed. Let me throw one other thing into this. We have a group of kids that were involved with him that we keep in contact with regularly. In fact, Kevin has been at a couple of parties over the last couple weekends. Kevin always somehow brings up the issue of Lisa. I mean, it's always brought up by Kevin. In one instance, he made some statements to the effect of, it's too bad the police never had any sort of suspect or any leads or anybody that they could look at for this. Is there any way we can play into that, or does that mean anything to us? The general response is kids don't even want to talk about it. They just say, yeah, 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 and leave them, which is... The, the other thing is that I think, I think you need to... We, we need to look at this in, in the salacious, pornographic interests that are, that are being served. Kevin has to be able to, by bringing it up, able to recreate a moment of real power, real significance, real unusualness. At the same time, he continues to, to get this acceptance. Let me, let me tell you an anecdote that, that amazed me. May rouse your intuition about how I'm trying to explain this. We've all had the experience of having a very vivid, active dream, the kind of dream that's very strong, very vivid, and waking up and think to yourself, wow, what a dream that was. And then as you try to hold on to the details of that dream, it gradually slips between your fingers and it, and it just fades as you, the harder you try to look at the content of the dream, the more it fades. And yet it was vivid and, and very real and very active. And, and you sense that by contrast to those instances where you wake up and it's a, it's in a vivid dream and, and you turn to the significant other in your life, your partner, somebody, or you, you go to work and you say, my Lord, I had this dream last night. You wouldn't believe this dream I had. And you're able to relate all of those details in that dream. I mean, one from the other. Now, one account of that might be as follows. that The content of the dream that you cannot remember is anxiety producing. And, and so you need not. Uh, you don't want to think about it. You want to put it behind you. So it slips through your fingers uh, because it's too anxiety provoking. The content of the dream that you have this urgency to tell somebody about is is content that you need to test against somebody else. So, for example, and typically the person you want to tell it to is the person that's significant in the dream. So you turn to your partner and you say, I've had this incredible dream about, and, and, and it was you and, and me, and we were da-da-da-da-da-da. And, and you go on with this. And suppose that the content, just suppose, the content of that dream is symbolically reflective of you killing this other person. So you go through this in gory detail, but but symbolically, it, it doesn't sound obvious that you're killing the person. It's, well, you see, I dreamt that you were on this cliff and 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 then we were floating down and, and there were these rocks down below. And here you are describing to the person how you're going to kill him. You know, like, uh, well, you're you're going to be splattered all over those rocks. And, and then what what does the person say to you? They, they don't say, as I said, you know, stand up and say, you son of a bitch. There's no way in the world I'm going to sit here and have somebody who dreams like that and have any respect for such a person or even any affection. No. Uh, now, now what do they say? Oh, you have such a wonderful imagination. Oh, wow. Isn't that wonderful? That's, that's really interesting, isn't it? I mean, here's the person you just said to them, I'm going to kill you saying, isn't that wonderful? You're just a marvelous person. 
And so you have uh, expiated the sin of these desires to hurt the other person by the other person accepting them and, and continuing to say, you're a nice person. You're okay. Well, every time Kevin raises this and, and doesn't have people get up and shun him, he successfully establishes the point that what he did was, was not so bad after all. Well, what would happen if they did? What do you think his re- reaction would be if they shunned him and got real upset about it? Well, I think he'd have to try to convince them. I, I think that, that you know, he was not the person, that he was not worthy of their loathing while at the same time believing that he was, and indeed might become suicidal at that point so that he could further demonstrate that he was repentant, that he really didn't enjoy having killed her. Dick asks, he wrote me, why are, why are you writing me a note? Just jump in here. Whether or not he would admit to another kid under any circumstances, I think he could. I think he definitely could. Uh, for its shock value, for its convincing the, the person that, that's significant. I think that your account of his doing this at parties is almost tantamount to that. It is of the same character of skirting the confession that he did with you, doing this thing in the third person. Well, the kids talk about all the angry things they'd like to tell Kevin, but they're kind of afraid to tell him because they don't know how he's going to react. Oh, uh, I'd advise them just the opposite. Even when police detectives tried to clockwork orange Kevin, he never gave them a confession. And here is where the tragedy is compounded. The prosecutor assigned to the case in Cuyahoga County ends up being Carmen Marino. Nobody knows it back then, but eventually Marino would get in a lot of trouble for misconduct in other murder cases. He did things like withhold evidence from defense attorneys and allowing witnesses to lie on the stand. What Marino did wrong was go to the psychiatric unit where Kevin Young was treated for stress after being interrogated by police and got a female patient to say Kevin had confessed to her in the hospital. Off that testimony from a mental patient, Marino got an indictment against Kevin for Lisa's murder. The case went to trial on June 28, 1993. It was one of the first trials to be broadcast on court TV. A trial of his peers acquitted Kevin Young on July 21st. In the eyes of the law, Kevin Young was not guilty of the murder of Lisa Pruitt. But in Shaker Heights, that wasn't good enough. They had been told by their trusted police detectives that this was the guy who did it. And to this day, the majority of people who lived through the ordeal still believe Kevin got away with murder. Life was not kind to Kevin Young. Because of the publicity of the case, he found it difficult to find a date. All they had to do was Google his name. He moved back in with his parents and painted houses around town. Eventually, he got his own efficiency apartment on the east side. He died at the age of 44 in February of 2017. He maintained his innocence to that day. Buried in the police files obtained from Shaker Heights are a few letters that Dan Dryford wrote to Lisa Pruitt when he was in psychiatric care. Dan writes, quote, I tried to kill myself. I need out of here. This place has fucked me up. After I get out, give me some time to return to normal. I don't want you or I 
to make any poor decisions because of this place. In another note, Dan warns Lisa, quote, someday I'll go too far and I'll do something very bad and you'll yell at me and be serious and I won't be able to handle it, but you can't let me get away with murder. I look at you and I see what I've done to you. I'm a bad influence on people. Chris is another example of this. And believe it or not, I think I've made Kevin worse than he already was. Later, he goes on to write, quote, I want to poke your eyes out with my favorite pocket knife. you ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today.